Okay, so Mike, you know how the world is buzzing about ChatGPT. Yeah, it's pretty much anyone in my feed is talking about regarding tech. Yeah, so as exciting as it is, it's almost too much if I'm being honest. Like, things are moving fast, everyone's both excited but also terrified for the future. I found this story about GPT-0 a bit sobering, which, I don't know, it's what I wanted to dive into today. Okay, well, we could definitely dive into it. Um, what do you mean by sobering? So there's so much hype and, and honestly fear around this technology and how it's going to affect our working life. How will education change when computers can write all the essays? How will anyone ever create and monetize content again if models can be trained to replicate the content in any style in mass? How will anyone get discovered when the web is just a sea of AI generated content all fighting for the attention of us browsing humans? Then along comes this app, and it was developed in just a couple weeks that can already detect when content is written by an AI model. And this doesn't come close to solving a lot of these big problems, but it feels like, I don't know, there's a world where maybe we can find a balance and everything will just be okay. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure to put on a student project, but hey, we need to have faith in something, right? <laughs> that's right. So today we're gonna dive into GPT-0, the anti-chat GPT. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort based trainings. 
We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us, go to gigantic.is, that's gigantic.is, and save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Okay. So GPT-0. Yeah, GPT-0 was an app that was developed by Edward Tian, a data science student at Princeton who specializes in natural language processing. Yeah, he's a former researcher for the BDC and for the open source intelligence website Bellingcat, as well as an ex-analyst at Mibro Solutions, a counterterrorism startup acquired by Microsoft. There, he monitored disinformation and bot detection, and all of that experience is what he said motivated this development. So GPT-0, it's an app that Tian built over a few weeks in December that could essentially scan text to decipher whether a human or an AI program wrote it. Its primary target is text generated by ChatGPT, the paradigm-shifting software program that set off alarm bells all over academia ever since OpenAI released it back in November. Tian's tool, which he first tweeted about on January 3rd, it's meant to address the concerns of educators and AI ethicists who fear the potential negative impacts of text generators based on machine learning. Here's Tian talking about his motivation for developing the app on the Tech News Weekly podcast. So first of all, like language models and machine learning for so long have been notorious for being black boxes where we don't know what's going on inside. And with GPT-0, I just wanted to start pushing back against that and start fighting against that. Um, and the other really like ethos towards building this is like transparency. Transparency was top of mind. It was like critically important to me that, you know, like the data in the app was actually like laid out. Everyone could see it and then everyone could use it because um, like, like humans deserve to know the truth of what is, you know, AI generated and what is machine generated. Uh, just like in like academia, there's academic integrity. In journalism, uh, there's journalistic integrity. I'm not opposed to, you know, AI technology being adopted. In fact, I think it is the future. AI is here to stay. But when using these technologies, there needs to be integri uh, integrity and a responsible adoption. The crazy thing is that he built this over winter break at his local coffee shop. Here's more from Tian on how he developed the app. So um, I built uh, GPT-0 out of a few sittings at my local coffee shop. Uh, this was not like a years of like a deep stealth project. Um, although for the research uh, in this field, I, I have been thinking about it for a really long time, um, whether it's, you know, this semester I was taking a graduate NLP course um, and I'm doing my uh, research with the Princeton NLP lab uh, where we're looking at implicit bias in AI generated text, whether there is something different in AI generated text that, uh, you know, like human uh, from that differentiates it from human text and vice versa. And I do believe like, uh, like that is the case, like big picture, there's there's something like beautiful about human prose, um, like emotions. There's there's something that machines can and should never co-op. 
And even when um, you pulled up that demo right there, uh, I tested it a lot with uh, John McPhee uh, was writing on the New Yorker. And um, Professor McPhee uh, was uh, has been teaching the same writing class for over 40 years at Princeton. And I happened to take it the last year he, he taught it. He's, he's over 90 now. And I remember just sitting in that class and seeing, wow, like writing can be so beautiful. And there, there's some things that like computers can never co op there. Within weeks of ChatGPT's debut, people on social media caricatured TN as both equal parts savior, gadfly, and honestly, narc. I'm, I'm telling you, the first war against the machines is not going to be fought with machine guns or laser guns. It's going to be fought on the keyboards, guys. An Asian university student has just invented an app that can detect whether your essay is written by ChatGPT or not. And guess what? Even though he's very smart, he's getting a lot of flack on the internet, even from fellow Asians. So let's talk about why that's a little surprising. Oh my gosh, man, I'm not gonna lie. I was kind of disappointed in the young Gen Z Asians commenting on this next shark <laughs> Instagram post, man. These 20 year olds were hating on fellow 20 year old Edward Tien, despite the, I'm just going off the evidence guys, him probably being one of the most brilliant minds of his generation, but they're just calling him a nerd. They say he has no friends. Anyway, Andrew, I'm gonna get into the points about it because I don't like what this is saying about Gen Z and their attitudes towards uh, embracing the anti-intellectual strain in American pop Ooh, culture. Okay, it might get a little fiery guys. That clip was from the Fung Brothers YouTube channel talking about the negative backlash Tian had seen from certain parts of the internet since announcing GPT-0, which, I don't know, it's surprising, but it kind of shouldn't be surprising at this day and age. Yeah, I mean, everyone's looking for a shortcut uh, to pretty much just about everything, and <laughs> yeah. GPT is most likely going to be that shortcut for many. Yeah, I, I guess so, and that's, that's how it's looking. So I want to get into how GPT-0 works and what it's detecting, but first... I also want to better understand the big bad wolf in the room, so to speak, and that's ChatGPT. So let's hear from Sam Altman himself, the CEO of OpenAI, who built ChatGPT, and let's hear him talking about the world that he sees in the near future that will spawn out of the capabilities of OpenAI. So here's Sam. So I, I think so far we've been in the realm where it's, you know, you can do like a, an incredible copywriting business or you can do like a sort of like education service or whatever. Um, but we, I don't think we've yet seen the kind of like people go after the like, you know, trillion dollar like take on Googles. Um, and I think that's about to happen. Like maybe it'll be successful. Maybe Google will do it themselves. But like I would guess that with the quality of, of language models we'll see in the coming years, um, you know, there will be like a serious challenge to Google for the first time for, for a search product. Um, and I think people are really starting to think about like, how do the fundamental things change? Um, and that's going to be really powerful. Uh, I think that uh, uh, like a human level chat bot interface that actually works this time around. Like, I, I think like, you know, many of these trends that like, we all made fun of were just too early. Like the chatbot thing was good. It was just too early. Um, now it can work. And I think, you know, having like new medical services that are done through that, uh, where you get great advice or new education services, like this, these are going to be very large companies. Uh, I think we'll get multimodal models and not that much longer and that'll open up new things. I think people are doing amazing work with sort of agents that can use computers to do things for you, use programs. And this idea of like a language interface, um, where you know you say in natural language what you want in this kind of like dialogue back and forth, you can iterate and refine it, and the computer just does it for you. You see some of this uh, with like Dolly and Copilot in very early ways. 
Um, but I think this is going to be a massive trend, and you know, very large businesses will get built um, with this as the interface, and more generally, that like these very powerful models will will be um, one of the genuine new technological platforms, which we haven't really had since mobile. And there's always like an explosion of new companies right after. Okay, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back with a little more. All right, welcome back. Before the break, we were learning more about OpenAI's ChatGPT model and the capabilities that its founder, Sam Altman, sees being created. Let's dive back into that interview with Sam, talking about the ecosystem that's being created where these language models are available via API for developers to build upon. I think there will be a small handful of like fundamental large models out there that other people build on. Uh, but right now what happens is, you know, company makes large language model, API, other people build on top of it. And I think there will be a middle layer that becomes really important where uh, I'm like skeptical of all of the startups that are trying to sort of train their own models. I don't think that's going to keep going. But what I think will happen is there will be a whole new set of startups that take an existing very large model of the future and tune it, uh, which is not just fine tuning, like all of the things you can do. I think there will be a lot of access provided to create the model for medicine or using a computer or like the kind of like friend or, or whatever. And then those, those companies will create a lot of enduring value because they will have like a special version of, they won't have to have created the base model, but they will have created something they can use just for themselves or share with others that has this unique data flywheel going that sort of improves over time and all of that. So I think there will be a lot of value created in that middle layer. I think the biggest like systemic mistake in thinking people are making right now is that they're like, all right, you know, maybe I was skeptical, but this language model thing is really going to work. And sure, like images, video too, but but it's not going to be generating net new knowledge for humanity. It's just going to like do what other people have done, and you know that's still great. That's still like brings the marginal cost of intelligence very low, but it's not it's not going to go like create fundamentally new. It's not going to go cure cancer. It's not going to add to the sum total of human scientific knowledge. And that is what I think will turn out to be wrong that most surprises the current experts in the field. So much of what Sam is presenting here has very little to do with the sphere of mass content creation and the disruption of education. It's so much bigger and more altruistic. Yeah, but people use this to cheat systems for sure and, and worse. Here's Sam again on where he's concerned in what he describes as the alignment problem. So the alignment problem is like we're going to make this incredibly powerful system and like be really bad if it doesn't do what we want or, or if it sort of has, you know, goals that are uh, either in conflict with ours um, and many sci-fi movies about what happens there or goals where it just like doesn't care about us that much. And so the alignment problem is how do we build AGI that, that does what is in the best interest of humanity? How do we make sure that humanity gets to determine the, you know, the future of humanity? Um, and how do we avoid both like accidental misuse, um, like where something goes wrong that we didn't intend, intentional misuse where like a bad person is like using an AGI for great harm, even if that's what the person wants, and then the kind of like you know inner alignment problems where like what if this thing just becomes a creature that views us as a threat? Um, the the way that I think the self improving systems help us is not necessarily by the nature of self improving, but like we have some ideas about how to solve the alignment problem at small scale, um, and we've you know been able to align OpenAI's biggest models better than we thought we we would at this point, so that's good. Um, we have some ideas about what to do next. Um, but we cannot honestly like look anyone in the eye and say, we see out 100 years how we're going to solve this problem. 
Um, but once the AI is good enough that we can ask it to like, hey, can you help us do alignment research? Um, I think that's going to be a new tool in the toolbox. Do we trust him? <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. I don't trust anyone. And even if you <laughs> do trust him, in our capitalist society, this technology and access to the root of it can be bought and sold to the highest bidder. I mean, there's a reason why Facebook promotes right-wing content at an alarming rate. That traces directly back to Peter Thiel and Joel Kaplan. We've seen what happens to Twitter when there's a change of guard with Elon Musk. Yeah, so no matter how well we try to safeguard this technology, there's not really much of a safeguard from bad actors. Right, it's in everyone's hands and it's gonna be used as the operator sees fit. There is no good for humanity as if humanity has a singular perspective. There's no singular and clear path forward for humanity that AI could even be trained on and that it could help us realize. And I think that's the concern many people are feeling. What say Steve Bannon or Barack Obama would do with this, vastly different and they're gonna lead to different results. So how good for humanity in either outcome is subjective to the trainer? Okay, so let's bring this back to GPT-0 and the development of AI detection tools. Uh, but first, let's take this quick break. So before the break, we learned about what's driving Sam Altman and ChatGPT. Yeah, listening to him, you can tell he knows he's sitting on something that even he thinks could be potentially dangerous. Yeah, something that could put much of humanity out of work, could. But then again, we've we've thought this was gonna happen many times before and we've always found a way to keep ourselves busy. So I do have some hope. That said, we do have a more immediate problem in front of us and that's our education system. It's about to be disrupted by ChatGPT. In the sense that students will be using it to write their papers completely independent of doing any research of their own. Yeah, so here's a clip from Neil deGrasse Tyson actually talking about this disruption from the Valuetainment YouTube channel. I would say, yeah. by the way, and one time I, I tweeted this, I said, um, <laughs> people who cheat on exams do so because the system values your grade more than the student values learning, okay? So if we're worried that people will create a, in, a, a, a paper in, a, in whatever, whatever, oh, there it is, thank you. <laughs> You found 2013? it. 2013? Yeah, yeah. No, I've been I've been at this. It's Thank about you. to be the 10-year anniversary of but that thought. Because our school system values grades more than students value learning. That's so that's such a powerful tweet. Yeah, so the point is, why why would you cheat at all? Right. If it's only to get a grade so that the school system thinks more highly of you. When being in school is about learning. Yeah. And so if you have the AI bot create your papers, you didn't learn a thing, but you got the grade. This is, this is the problem we began with here in this conversation. And he's right. The incentives are currently thought of as stronger to get the grade than they have the knowledge. This will probably slowly shift. Yeah, and that takes us back to Edward Tian, the founder of GPT-0. The model he's built, they're, they're fascinating and kind of head-spinning that this could be done by one person in a matter of weeks. Here's Tian on what makes up his calculation. Perplexity uh, is a measurement of randomness to a model or how random a model finds a text. So if a text is really perplexing, um, you know, it's really random, it's really perplexing, the model might not be very familiar with it. 
then it will have high perplexity and it is likely to be human ridden. Uh, on the other hand, if you know a piece of text is very familiar to a model, maybe uh, the model has seen it in its training data set, um, or it maybe the model itself is very probable and very likely to generate such a text, then it would have low perplexity and is more likely to be machine generated. Um, but uh, I do have to emphasize that perplexity itself is a very imperfect indicator because it does consider a host of other variables and factors, such as text length. If the length of a text is longer, it's likely to be less random and thus have lower perplexity. So that's when burstiness comes into play. So burstiness is the big picture uh, indicator. So um, burstiness measures sort of the variance uh, in the text. So if you plot um, perplexity over a stretch of time, then you'll see that with human written articles, it'll vary and go all over the place. And it'll have sudden spikes, it'll go up and down. But with machine written articles, it will have sort of a baseline and will be consistent throughout. So that's sort of the big picture indicator. And I do like, uh, like how uh, with this indicator, it's very transparent. Uh, so ultimately, I uh, the next step of GPT-0 is I don't want to tell you whether something is machine or human written. Maybe I want to give you uh, like a score yeah. of like uh, one to 10 and some nuanced analysis. But with something like uh, like burstiness, you can see for yourself the variance in human writing versus the constant line in uh, computer writing. So you can make uh, the determination yourself as opposed to a machine telling you whether something is human written or machine written. Okay, so... We should probably wrap all of this up, but on a high note, right? Yeah, I. it's a good call. I think we need that. So I think this will help pull the perspectives together. Here's Edward Tian again talking about how he sees the near future of AI technology and its effects it'll have on our lives. I almost find this analogous to you know social media technology being built out uh, years ago, uh, and we know now that there needs to be responsible safeguards for you know responsible adoption. So it's uh, equal and fair to everyone. So everyone reaps the benefits of you know uh, technological advancements, and you know no one is harmed by it. Uh, and just like in, in social media, we've seen things like fake news and disinformation campaigns. It's almost analogous here that AI is here to stay. You're absolutely right. In fact, I totally believe that it is the future. Uh, you know, like, like, and I'm not opposed to anyone, uh, you know, using AI when it makes sense. Um, but at the same time, for actual mass adoption, for this technology to be normalized and to benefit everybody, there needs to be safeguards for responsible adoption. Uh, and that's sort of like the impetus here. Well, this is all pretty fascinating. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're going to see Edward with like an executive position at OpenAI, Microsoft or Google <laughs> in the near future. Yeah, you know, that's probably about right. The old buy him up to shut him up kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I just hope he keeps his passion and fire because I don't know, we're going to need a lot more Edward Tians in the future if we're going to weather these next 20 years. Well, on that note, we probably should wrap things up. I thought we were going to do it on a high note. Uh, but anyway, for Michael Saka, this is Mike Belsito, and you've been listening to Rocketship.fm. 
Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network, and if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.